Well, good morning. My name is Luke, one of the pastors here at Holland Chapel. We're so thankful that you are with us this morning. Church, can I tell you a story? Is that okay? Can I tell you a story? This past week, I missed you. I really did. I was on a personal family vacation. And for eight years, I've stayed strong, church. Eight years. Did you hear that? Eight years. So uh, if you go on a beach vacation, you know what I'm talking about. They got those little uh, surf-style uh, stores. You ever been in one on a beach vacation? Raise your hand if you've been in one of those surf stores on a beach vacay. You know what I'm talking about. Somewhere within the store, there's a little tiki hut-looking thing, and there's a warm lamp, and inside this box are a bunch of hermit crabs. You know what I'm talking about? For eight years, church, we've walked by that box Alligator tears. Daddy, I want a hermit crab. I want a hermit crab. No, we don't need one. No, no. Eight years, church. This year, I folded. <laughs> I folded. Came back from the beach with not one, because I learned they have to have a buddy to live. Did you know that? So I came back with two hermit crabs. Pray for me and my house. And if you're taking your kids to the beach, don't go to the surf stores. You'll come home with a hermit crab. Well, I hope you're doing well this morning. We're in our sermon series called Letters to My Son. Pastor Keaton did a wonderful job last week. Uh, crack another joke. Everybody joked in the office. They were like, oh, Luke made Keaton uh, tell women to be quiet. <laughs> I did. Do you see how I played that? It was perfect. He did a wonderful job looking at the Word of God, examining the roles of men and women and elevating the Word of God and saying, you know what? Men are no greater or no less than. Women are no greater or no less than. They're equal in the sight of God, and He has roles for both. Amen? Amen. And man, He did a wonderful job. This morning, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So if you've got your Bibles, go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Real brief recap of where we're at. The church at Ephesus is getting things wrong. They're, they're, they're messing things up. They're getting out of order. Paul catches word of this. So he writes a letter to Timothy, and he says, Timothy, you're going to have to go in there, and you're going to have to get things lined out. So what he does in these letters is God establishes the order for the church, how things should be ran, how things should be done. And so he's sending Timothy there to right the wrongs. And so where we're at in chapter 3, he really ramps up the way the structure of the church should be. So there's no better way than just to read the whole chapter. It's not very long. Just bear with me. We're going to read 1 Timothy chapter 3. It says, this is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be a church leader, he desires an honorable position. So a church leader must be a man whose life is above Reproach. I'm reading out of the New Living. Yours may render overseer or bishop. It simply means pastor, elder. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. 
For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? A church leader must not be a new believer because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall. Also, people outside the church must speak well of him so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons must be well-respected and have integrity. They must not be heavy drinkers or dishonest with money. They must be committed to the mystery of the faith now revealed and must live with a clear conscience. Before they are appointed as deacons, let them be closely examined. If they pass the test, then let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives must be respected and must not slander others. They must exercise self-control and be faithful in everything they do. A deacon must be faithful to his wife, and he must manage his children and household well. Those who do well as deacons will be rewarded with respect from others and will have increased confidence in their faith in Christ Jesus. I'm writing these things to you now, even though I hope to be with you soon, so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. You see this order? This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. Without question, this is the great mystery of our faith. Christ was revealed in a human body and vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels and announced to the nations. He was believed in throughout the world and taken to heaven and glory. Thank you for allowing me to read the chapter. It gives us a great idea of what Paul is trying to convey to Timothy and ultimately what Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus. What Paul is doing right here is establishing the fact, the very truth, that God is a God of order. I want you to write that down, that God is a God of order. Do you believe that this morning, church? Our God is not a God of chaos. He's a God of order, and he has a plan. If you were to look at the, the, the scope of Scripture, this is true all the way from the very beginning as he creates the earth. He establishes everything according to his order and his plan. If you go from the Old Testament into the New Testament, we read in 1 Corinthians when he says, hey, this is how the, the worship gathering should be done. And Paul lists order within the worship gathering. If there was order in the creation of the world and there is order in the worship gathering of the saints, wouldn't you believe that God would have order for how the church should be ran? Men, he has an order. God is a God of order. So we need to understand that this morning, that he has a purpose and he has a plan for the church. And he's wanting Timothy in this moment to go in and reestablish this order. But let me sidestep that just for a moment. I know we're, we're elevating the church and how the church should be ran. But I think there's some people this morning need to hear this. God has an order and God has a plan not only for his church but for your life. Do you believe that? Some of you walked in this morning and your life is nothing but chaos. Some things have been thrown your way that has really knocked you off course. And you're like, is there a purpose? Is there a plan? Does God really have a strategy for what he's doing in my life? I want to assure you this morning that God absolutely has a plan and he has an order for your life. He loves you and he will work to unfold his plan 
for your life. But this morning, we're in the context of the church, and there's so much to discuss here. But what Paul does for Timothy is he gives him a simple outline for the structure of the church. So God is a God of order, and the first thing in order, write this down, is that Christ is supreme. Christ is supreme. We get this from verse 5. Where do we get it from? It says, for if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? God's church. Christ is supreme. So Paul right here gives credit where credit is due. The church is no one man's to lead. The church is Christ's church. Amen? We all need to believe that this morning. Do you believe that Christ is the head of the church? that he is supreme and over it all. It all begins with him and it ends with him. That is the order in which God has established, that it all starts, it all happens, it all flows through Jesus Christ. So write that down. Christ is supreme. This is backed up in Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at 19 through 23. It says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world but also in the world to come. God has put all Things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of what? The church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. So much, listen to me, so much can get sideways if this truth is left out. The sad reality of where we're at is that many churches, many churches have left this point number one out of everything they do. They've left Christ out of the head of the church. They've removed him. What we read, if you go to Revelation, in Revelation chapter 2, the church of Ephesus, which is the very same church that this letter is being written to, man, God does a great thing there. He says, hey, Ephesus, you've done a lot well. You have called out evil. You have suffered for the, for the cause of Christ. You, you've done all this well. But I have one complaint against you. He says, you have forsaken your first love. So, what does this story teach us in Revelation with the church at Ephesus? That churches can look really good. Churches can look shiny and beautiful and put together. Man, they're full of programs. They've got a charismatic leader that's awesome. They've got all this stuff from the outside. They look fantastic. And you know what? They may be doing a lot of good. But even though they're doing a lot of good, they're leaving out Christ as the head. And what happens in the church at Ephesus? God says, you've done all this great, but the complaint I have against with you is you have forsaken me. What Ephesus has done is they have left God out of his own plan. 
And church, listen to me. God help Holland Chapel if we ever leave him out of his own plan. That Christ is supreme. He's over everything that we do. That nothing that happens here, nothing that takes place here is without the mercy of God. And the leaders desperately praying for guidance and for the church, you, desperately praying for guidance to be used by God to be an effective church. That's all Paul is trying to do with the church at Ephesus is get them back on track for the purpose of the gospel. And if we're going to be a church that's used by God to spread the gospel, Christ has to be supreme in everything that Holland Chapel does, everything that we do. So let's get back to the order that he establishes in Timothy chapter 3. I want you to write this down, that God ordains offices, okay? He sets in motion order of these offices. They are elder and they are deacon that we read in Scripture. There are two offices. What I mean by that, two positions, two things set apart to help in the strategy and the order of God's church. Elder and deacon, write that down. Elder and deacon. These are the two offices. But the main difference, and there's one key trait that we must talk about briefly this morning that sets these two apart, is that for elders, one only thing that, that really when we read the qualifications that sets them apart is that they must be able to teach. So we understand that Christ is the head of the church, and in his wisdom, he establishes two offices to help get the work done. Those offices are elder or pastor and deacon. And what sets elder apart is the ability to teach. That's where the authority comes from. The authority comes from the teaching and the exalting of the word of God. That's where pastors get the authority to lead God's church is through the authority, not of their own word, not of their own ability, not of their own calling, not of their own charisma, but it comes from Christ ordaining them and setting them apart to teach his church. Do you understand that this morning? That there is nothing special about whoever is up here teaching. What makes them set apart is the authority that comes from the word that they're proclaiming. That's it. And so God sets apart two offices. The first one, elder, which are pastors, which are overseers, the ones that tend to the church, that look after and shepherd the souls of the congregation. And listen to me, that is a tremendous responsibility. We read this in 1 Peter chapter 5, 2 through 3. It says, care for the flock that God has entrusted you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. And listen to me, I've been in ministry long enough to come across enough men who do this grudgingly. Your pastors here do it willingly. Not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. Listen, the pastors here, the pastor's elders are simply servants that have been called by God to shepherd this body. What does that mean to shepherd? To love, to care, to guard, to pray for, to be there to help you. 
God has set us apart to do that. That is a part of his order. He calls men to be pastors, elders, to shepherd the church of God, to help his people follow him. That's what shepherds do. And we take this responsibility seriously, for we are accountable to God for how we lead you. And I wish, church, listen to me, I wish more people really understood this that the pastors are accountable to God for how they lead, the pastors are accountable to God for how they shepherd, and that strikes fear in the hearts of pastors. If you know the pastor's elders here, you will know that we lead out of a humble fear of the Lord. It helps us stay in check. If you've ever had a conversation with us, you'll, you'll know that. Like, well, we fear the Lord. Now, yes, not all pastors fear the Lord, and shame on them, but your pastors here fear the Lord. And we know one day we will give an account for how we pastored you. And that frightens us. It's a healthy fear, but it frightens us. God has set us apart to pastor his people, and we take this very, very seriously. So good pastors, hopefully you would agree that you've got good pastors here. They fear the Lord. They fear the Lord and they want to serve his people well. If we fear the Lord, then we will lead you with respect. Let's read Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. It says, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls. And listen here. They are accountable to God. Give them a reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. We're going to look more at this passage a little later on. But what we all need to understand is this is a give-give relationship. That pastors have a tremendous responsibility that we take very seriously to pastor and shepherd your soul. And all we ask in return is that you follow in a way that brings us joy that you help us, that you follow us, that you help us take the gospel forward. It's all we ask. So the next thing that we see in line here in the order is the office of deacon. The office of deacon. And what we all need to understand about this word translated, it simply means servant. Deacon means servant. Now, if we look at the qualifications, they're very, very similar to that of an elder. But remember that the teaching aspect is removed. And the teaching aspect of the Word of God is what gives pastors, elders, authority. Remove the teaching aspect. Deacon simply means servant. We never see deacon accompanied with authority in the Word of God. Now, I know what you might be thinking. You might be coming from a long history of church background where you feel like the deacons ran the show, right? Everything happened with the deacons of approval. Churches can establish their setup however they see fit. They're accountable to God for that. Holland Chapel, we want to follow what the Word of God says. And nowhere in Scripture do we see that deacons, that simply means servant, is accompanied by authority. They were called, they were set apart to simply help serve. Do we understand that? They were called and set apart to serve the church. Their name actually means servant. So we see this established in Acts chapter 6. We're going to read it in just a moment. But the leaders, the church leaders, they had work to do in preaching and teaching of the gospel. 
If you know what's happening in Acts, the word of God is taken off, gospel is going forward, and lives are being changed by the thousands. And the leaders and the teachers that were exalting the word of God, they were overrun with the physical needs of people. They were coming, they were hungry, and the pastors, they were overwhelmed. They were trying to feed all of these people. And the church supports the leaders that come along and they're like, hey, th- this is not working. Y- y'all need to devote yourself to, to the reading, to the teaching, to the proclaiming of the gospel. We need servants to come along to take care of this need so that you can preach. Then you have deacons. That's when the role of deacon was established, to support the gospel. Did you hear that? To support the gospel, to help the gospel go further, faster, to help take care of the needs of people. They were selected to serve. And in Timothy, certain qualifications are laid out. They are respected. They are to be respected by the church so that the church can move forward in a healthy manner according to God's plan. And here at Holland Chapel, I'm very, very proud of our deacon ministry. It's growing and it's thriving. We're seeking to get it back on track, biblical. Uh, the, The three that we have right now are Donald Fulcher, Matt McGinney and Brandon Kelly, just here uh, in a few moments at the end of second service, we're going we're gonna, to uh, share with you the names. You've already seen those names in the church email, and we're, we're going to vote on more deacons. They are Brian Nibbins and Brian Cotton and Mark Elmore and Lane Chancellor. These are men that have been examined closely. If you remember, it says to do that in 1 Timothy 3. They've been examined closely. They've been called out. They will be presented to the church for you to go. You know what? These are men that are truly servants. And these are men that are going to be able to step in and help the pastors teach and take the gospel further, faster. We're going to be able to do that here at Holland Chapel. We're going to be able to align ourselves with the order that God has established. That's a beautiful thing, church. Do you believe it? You give me some blank stares this morning like, what is he talking about? God has an order, and we're just trying to fall in order, amen? And we're going to present them to you this morning. And you get the chance to come alongside us and agree that, hey, these are wonderful men that will help in the ministry of the gospel. So the two offices are elder and deacon, church leaders who preach and exalt the word of God, and church leaders who lead by serving. Those are the offices that God has established. And it helps the church fulfill its purpose. But here's a third one that I want you to write down. That it needs to be congregationally supported. Congregationally supported. Now we don't read that in 1 Timothy 3. But if you take the broader scope of scripture. And you apply all these principles. You see the order in which God has established. And where we'll go to get that is Acts chapter 6. I want you to go there in your Bibles. It's important that you underline that. If you've got your phones, make sure that you highlight that. Acts chapter 6, we'll set this up real briefly. Because you might be thinking, well, this is awesome. This is great. We've got elders, we've got deacons, but I am neither. Where do I fit into this equation? Where do I fit into God's purpose? Where, where, Where do I fit in to what God has for his church? Being a part of the body of Christ, being a functioning active member of a church, listen to me, is crucial. Your role, your responsibility is vital. Christ can lead, 
Christ can be supreme all he wants, but if you don't submit to the authority of Christ, doesn't matter, does it? Pastors can, can lead by conviction through the power of the Holy Spirit trying to accomplish the gospel in and through Jesus, but if you don't follow the pastors, it doesn't matter at all, does it? You see, your role as a congregant, as a part of a church, is crucial. We can lead all we want. I can say the bus is leaving in five minutes, but if you don't show up, it doesn't matter, does it? Being a part of a church, being an active member that's following is crucial. Your role very much matters, and we'll see that in Acts chapter 6. I want you to go to verse 2. We're going to read down for a little bit. It says, so the twelve called a meeting of all the believers. See that? They got the church gathered. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. So they got overwhelmed. They couldn't devote themselves to the teaching and the preaching of God's word. They're serving food. They're like, hey, this is a great need, but we need to preach the gospel. That's what saves. But we don't want to neglect the, the needs of people either, because that's, that's important. So they got the church together, and they said, we're, over, we're overwhelmed. We can't do this. So we, we, we need some deacons. Jump down to verse 5 of Acts chapter 6. It says, Everyone liked this idea. You ever been to a church family meeting where everyone liked the idea? We're getting there. We're getting there. So what they do is they they gather the church. They gather the believers. They say, we've got a problem. We need some, some deacons to help serve. And the church, listen to me, supports the leadership of the overseers. And they say, you know what, we like this idea. This is a great idea. We're going to affirm these deacons. Oh, and guess what happens, church, when the congregation supports? It's already known that God was moving and that teachers were teaching. And now we have deacons serving. And what you see, go down to verse 7. It says, so God's message continued to spread. God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Do you see what happens when God establishes a plan and the church follows the plan? You see what happens? Verse 7, the gospel spreads. I want you to hang on to that, church. That God has a plan, that God has an order for his church to be structured. When the church looks at the word of God, last week was tough, no doubt about it. This week's tough. It may go against some things that you were, you were taught or some history that you're trying to overcome. But when we look at the word of God, we see how it's unfolded. We see the structure and how beautiful it is. If we just step in line and do it, the gospel flourishes. Amen? Now, here's a big question. I'm not saying this to be sarcastic. I want everybody on board. Do you want the gospel to go forward, church? I believe what we see here in Scripture is that a church 
if they will honor the instruction given in the word of God, he will honor their efforts and the gospel will explode. The people's lives will be changed. That the church won't be bogged down in meaningless discussions. That the church won't constantly find itself stuck in mud of disagreements that don't matter. That the church will actually be a church that's functioning for the gospel. And people's lives will be changed. Paul gives Timothy simple structure to set up in the church at Ephesus. Follow this, the gospel goes forward. So Holland Chapel, what's our takeaway from this this morning? That God is sovereign, he's supreme, he's overall. That you desperately want pastors that fear the Lord, I believe you have them here, that are going to lead with humility and fear of the Lord. That today, in just a few moments, we're going to see a deacon ministry hopefully begin to thrive and grow. And then a church supports it so that the gospel can go further faster. That's a big deal, church. It's a big deal. Let me pray for us this morning. God, we love you. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the structure that we see in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Thank you for how you love us enough to establish a plan, to establish an order. And God, help us to love you enough to be obedient to your plan and your structure without wavering, regardless of what society would have us to do, regardless of what church movement is taking off, that we would remain steadfast to the teaching of your word, that we would be a church that's found faithful, doing things according to your plan and your purpose. Thank you for the privilege of serving here at Holland Chapel. And I pray that you continue to bless us as we seek to be obedient and take the gospel further faster. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus. We ask everything in his precious name. Amen.